Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. More friction between Governor Ron DeSantis and the Biden administration over COVID-19 treatments and immigration enforcement. And the governor again dodges the question of whether he's had a booster shot. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson. And those are some of the stories I'll be discussing this week with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. But first... Gentlemen, did you bring some numbers? How about you, John? Zach, I do have a number this week. It's an even dozen. Number 12. How about you, Antonio? I'm coming in with 5,420,755 to be precise. All right, Antonio, coming in strong. And my number is 2 million. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, another week, another dust up between DeSantis and the Democrat in the White House. This time, the governor is livid because the federal government stopped sending two monoclonal antibody treatments to Florida after the Food and Drug Administration determined that they are not effective against the Omicron variant. DeSantis has made the monoclonal treatments the centerpiece of his response to COVID-19, so having them taken away leaves him with little else to point to. John, this seems like one of the dangers of putting all your eggs in one basket. Well, it really does. I mean, you know, we've uh, seen the governor on this subject for a while now, and uh, it doesn't seem like he's very uh, enthusiastic to move very far on uh, any kind of treatment efforts, but monoclonal treatments was something that he put a lot of stock in. You remember he was barking just several months ago at the Biden administration for not giving the state enough of these treatments when they were being heavily used as basically an alternative to getting vaccinated. But um, that was when the Delta variant of the virus was killing Floridians last summer, and they brought a lot of uh, unvaccinated people back from a trip to the hospital or worse. But but now you have the federal health agencies and even the manufacturers, uh, Eli Lilly and Regeneron, of the uh, the most widely used treatments, acknowledging that they're not effective for treating the Omicron variant of uh, COVID-19, which represents almost all of the cases now being reported. Yeah. To your point, John, uh, DeSantis was asked about this again, and you know, he said, "Well, there could be some Delta." cases of Delta variant that these um, monoclonals would be uh, effective against. And the reality is, is that 99% of infections are Omicron right now. I mean, why is he sticking to this? It, it's it's absolutely crazy. Uh, you know, this is, uh, he, he's calling it sudden and reckless uh, on on behalf of the uh, Biden administration to shut this down. But, uh, you, you know, you, you got to remember, you know, DeSantis recently bought 15,000 Regeneron treatments that I guess now will be sitting on a shelf somewhere. And he, he had to cancel thousands of treatment appointments uh, and the state shut down its sites where the monoclonal treatments were being conducted this week. But, uh, you know, remember, this is the same governor who quickly bought hydroxychloroquine from from Israel back in the early days of COVID on the recommendation of President Trump, only to uh, later find out that treatment wasn't effective against COVID-19. Um, so DeSantis is left sounding like a snake oil salesman. You know, he's, he's mad about now being unable to treat Floridians with a product that medical science says doesn't help them. Uh, you know, it, this comes the same week that his Surgeon General, Dr. Joseph Ladapo, was up for his first confirmation hearing in the Florida Senate, and uh, he wouldn't directly answer questions from Democrats about whether he believed vaccines for COVID-19 were effective. He uh, danced around his answers, and Senate Democrats walked out of the meeting without casting votes. Um, he was approved in that committee only on a vote of Republicans. Um, 
But DeSantis defiance seems to be going into a you know crazy conspiracy theory direction. He 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 won't answer about whether he's been boosted. Zach, you just asked him the other day about that. Um, he wants to continue dispensing an unproven monoclonal treatment, and his uh, Surgeon General doesn't want to commit to supporting the people that should be vaccinated amid a global pandemic. Is this all about making sure the Trump base stays with him? And John, this really, again, highlights um, this, this sort of the difference between prevention and treatment. DeSantis has focused uh, heavily on on this idea that you know we're going to treat you once you get sick and you know getting sick won't be a big deal because we have these treatments but then the treatments go away and you're left with nothing here and and uh you know the the idea that you're not going to really uh promote the prevention when these vaccines um are are have proven to be incredibly effective um in preventing hospitalization and death now you know they're they have not been effective in preventing the transmission of the disease, which the governor um, has pointed out and the Surgeon General has pointed out. Um, but that doesn't take away from the, the fact that they're, they are, uh, you know, really helpful treatments, does it? No, no, not at all. But but as you wrote in a story just the other day, it does seem like that the governor is moving farther and farther away from the embrace of vaccinations. You know, there was a time when he he would always mention, you know, that you should get vaccinated. He kind of said it grudgingly, it seemed. But now there seems to be this uh, pull of the of the Trump vase or the uh, people that just don't want to acknowledge the the, the power of vaccines, uh, the anti-vaxxing community. Uh, that that seems to be where the governor is uh, slowly heading, and uh, the removal of the monoclonal antibodies now as a as a possible treatment method, which he seemed to be uh, putting a lot of stock in, uh, leaves him adrift. You know, he doesn't have that. And uh, it's looking like he's not going to be advocating for vaccines either. I saw an interesting uh, tweet this morning from uh, Scott Maxwell, who is the the columnist for the Orlando Sentinel. And he said, if you don't understand why it's weird how DeSantis stresses treatment over prevention. Think about any other circumstance in life, like a hurricane. Imagine right before a storm, encouraging people not to seek safety, but to apply for emergency aid after staying and getting hit. Uh, You know, it's just an interesting point that, uh, you know, if you can prevent people from getting seriously sick in the first place, why wouldn't you? The most important step that anyone can take to protect themselves against COVID-19 is to get the vaccine and the booster shot. But the booster status of Florida's top elected official continues to be a mystery. DeSantis' dodging on the booster question became a big issue last week when Donald Trump slammed politician who won't answer the question as, quote, gutless. Even after Trump made that comment, DeSantis still refused to disclose whether he is boosted, saying in a press conference that it's, quote, a private matter. Antonio, what's going on here? DeSantis told everyone he got the J&J one-shot vaccine. How is he now insisting that the booster is a private matter? Well, first of all, Zach, uh, kudos to you for asking and getting the non-answer. And and then, look, the answer is something that John kind of just touched on. You know, what's going on here? Well, you know, let's rewind back to last July. There was that two- to three-day period where the governor actually touted the vaccines, and he did so the same week that Fox News star and, and apparently Trump advisor Sean Hannity also talked up vaccinations. And what happened? Well, DeSantis, DeSantis got lit up like a 4th of July firecracker on Twitter by the anti-vax and skeptic crowd. And Hannity, he had to come on air a couple of nights later and do a Galileo-like recant saying he never endorsed vaccination, even though he had vouched for it. 
since then, the governor has played to that far fringe, you know, that right wing fringe anti-vax crowd, uh, as well as, you know, the government doesn't tell me what to do set. Uh, remember when you referred to inoculation as a jab? You know, that's Florida's present day version of Patriot Games. Slide to the far right, because that is where the base is, where your voters are. And, you know, rather than leading um, based on sound policy, just, you know, you know, cater to them. Uh, remember to that kerfuffle last year about vaccine passwords and QR codes. It's a simple concept. A QR code would be used to access your vaccination status. Personal story, when I traveled to Spain in December, my vaccination status was on a QR code with the Spanish health ministry. And wherever I went, that, that you know, took care of it. it. It made going through airport screening easy and everything else. But the far right megaphones and conservative media you know, had a meltdown over the QR codes and made it sound like your entire personal medical history down to colonoscopy photos would be on that code. That was part of the disinformation campaign that laid the groundwork for Florida's no vaccine passport laws and rules. You know, the governor has just simply thrown his re-election lot and perhaps his future presidential aspirations with the far right on this to the point of almost, you know, being ridiculous. I, I mean, the governor cites privacy on saying whether he got the boost or not. But in October, he revealed that First Lady Casey DeSantis had breast cancer. And he re talked recently about the First Lady having completed her, her therapy. Look, we can all be very happy about that. And we all wish the First Lady a full and complete recovery. But it is fair to ask, why it's okay to discuss cancer, but not the vaccine, except that, you know, among the governor's base, the vaccine is taboo. And it's pretty interesting. You mentioned that the QR code, I, I do, I, there, there seems to be this feeling amongst conservatives that uh, the vaccine is going to become like, you know, if you're, if you're not vaxxed, you're going to be excluded from daily life and that, you know, you're not going to be able to do all these things. And, and that uh, it does seem like a lot of the um, antipathy uh, towards the vaccination comes from that idea that the government is going to control your life. Um, uh, and, you know, do, do you think that there's any uh, I mean, that that is to, uh, happening to some degree in Europe, isn't it? It is happening to some degree in some of these blue states, right? It, it is. But the question is, you know, where else do you have, you know, when you sign up your kids for school, you got to have certain vaccinations. Um, and in a lot of and a lot of the resistance to the actual vaccine, it, it's not so much based on that. It's also based on this false science and this question of, you know, questions about whether getting the vaccine made you sterile. Um, you know, and, and, and things where there were there, you know, something the vaccine would help the government track you. There's just a lot of other wacko stuff that goes with it. I mean, yeah, I think we can all agree that, that this is a, a, a public health and public policy question. At what point can the government tell you that you have to be vaccinated? And, you know, that's been, that obviously the, the Supreme Court has settled that issue with the Biden administration's vaccine mandate, which has now been retreated. But that's different. And even Trump has said so, that a mandate is different than having the leadership of the state, you know, the political, the government leadership come out in lockstep and tell people that this vaccine is safe as it is and that it helps move the country one step further away from this pandemic that it has been such a, you know, had in many lives and in economy and economics and in many ways been catastrophic. Uh, for people. Yeah, it's an interesting point. A lot of the debate around vaccines has been caught up in this idea of mandates, 
But there's a lot you can do short of mandating the vaccine. You know, Chris Christie, the former Republican governor of New Jersey, was in Sarasota to give a speech recently. And I I asked him about DeSantis waffling um, about his booster shot status. And and Chris Christie said, look, you know, I, I don't favor mandates, but any responsible elected leader should be uh, telling people the truth. And the truth is that these vaccines work, that they're highly effective, again, uh, in preventing hospitalization and death. And you should lead by example and get vaccinated and tell people your vaccination status because it tells people, um, you know, it gives a signal to people uh, about what you believe. And and so, uh, you know, you could show leadership um, and, and uh, you know, get the vaccine and, and promote the vaccine without um, providing a mandate. But it, DeSantis appears to think that that's a political loser for him. Well, not only is DeSantis battling with Biden on COVID-19 uh, treatments, but he's also returning to a familiar fight over immigration enforcement. DeSantis is pushing a bill that would prohibit companies from doing business with the state if they help transport undocumented immigrants to Florida. That could impact airlines, bus companies, uh, among uh, other firms. John, you know, sort of just when it seemed that DeSantis had turned his focus to other hot button issues like critical race theory, he's returning to this immigration debate. What do you make of it? Well, I guess immigration is one of the real touchstone issues for the Republican base, uh, the gift that keeps on giving. You know, who can, who can forget Donald Trump's demand that President Obama produce a birth certificate, which uh, he ultimately did, uh, refuting Trump's claim that he was foreign born and disqualified to be president. But um, DeSantis, uh, he unveiled his latest immigrant idea at the end of last year. And sure enough, what the governor wants, the Republican-led legislature tends to give him. And uh, the bill by Republican Senator Aaron Bean that was uh, discussed this week would expand the state's ban on sanctuary cities, this time by discouraging airlines, uh, bus companies, and uh, organizations uh, from assisting the federal government in relocating undocumented immigrants to Florida. Um, you know, many of them are unaccompanied minors and uh, they're being brought into the state for, for assistance and placement in this state. Um, under the bill, uh, companies could be prohibited from doing any business with Florida governments if they help the Biden administration transport what they like to call unauthorized aliens into the state. Now, you know, this would be the idea that, you know, if, if you're a bus company and you have a contract with the uh, University of Florida to transport their their football or their women's soccer team somewhere, you'll lose that contract if they find out that, oh, you've been helping the Biden administration move uh, people from the Texas-Mexico border to Florida. Now, while many of those being relocated are reunited with family members or, or gain assistance from social service agencies, uh, being the sponsor of this bill, he, he cast it in a much more ominous uh, light uh, during a Judiciary Committee this week. He was uh, describing dozens of flights reported having come into Jacksonville in recent months carrying migrants from the uh, Mexican border region. And uh, Bean said that, that many arrive, uh, as he quoted it, in the dead of the night. Uh, he said, we don't know who these people are and the crimes which they are committing is very real. Uh, he didn't offer too much detail on the alleged crimes, but but yeah, there have been, uh, you know, some some bad people that have been brought in. However, the vast majority do not seem to be the criminals that they're they're, they're speaking about. Uh, as as part of Bean's bill, he said it, it, he would uh, 
really just you know aimed at just blunting this whole effort to to move people from the border across the United States, which some Republicans think is is Biden's way of just trying to distract and uh, ease a problem that they say is at crisis level, you know, at the border uh, with people coming up, a lot of them from Central America fleeing, you know, uh, really oppressive regimes or gang uh, violence. Um, some of the, the representatives of uh, immigrant supporting organizations uh, testified against the measure and uh, several read statements opposing the bill that had been given by older Cuban Americans who uh, are living in Florida and have lived here for decades, but came to the United States as unaccompanied minors in the early 1960s uh, among the 14,000 children whose uh, parents got them out of Cuba through the famed uh, Operation Peter pa Peter Pedro Pan program that was uh, so popular in 60, 61, that era. Um, they they emphasized uh, they, with the, the undocumented migrant children that are arriving here, basically saying that, you know, if, if this had been me, I, I maybe couldn't have gotten to the United States. And this is just a, a, a modern version of it. But um, you know, Republicans are pretty intent on uh, capitalizing on this uh, anti-immigrant move and uh, building on the sanctuary cities ban that the state enacted in 2019 is risky because uh, a federal judge has blocked most of that law for uh, violating the Constitution's Equal Protection Clause. And uh, it also was driven, the judge determined that that sanctuary cities law was driven by a uh, anti-immigrant threat narrative that was advanced by DeSantis and the Republican controlled legislature. That uh, sanctuary cities uh, was enacted during the Trump years when it was perceived that some communities were not going to be enforcing federal immigration law. And uh, this law, and, and you know, we're going to characterize themselves as sanctuary cities. But um, the, the state of Florida has banned those things from operating, even though there was really no uh, clear report that Florida had uh, established a sanctuary city anywhere. So, um, you know, I, it, it looks right now that DeSantis and legislators are assuming that the judge's injunction against that sanctuary cities ban will be overturned on the state's appeal. So, so here we go again with anti-immigrant threat narratives, it seems. And, uh, you know, it's just in time for the governor to sign it before going off to, uh, to campaign for his reelection, uh, appealing to that conservative base in Florida that is uh, sitting down and being frightened of immigrants and change on uh, Fox News every evening. Antonio, what, what are your thoughts on the potential impact uh, of this uh, proposed new immigration bill? Well, you know, first of all, let's get a reality check on, on this issue. You know, let's point out that there was a horrific incident off the Treasure Coast of Florida in the last few days. A suspected human smuggling venture went fairly wrong when the boat capsized, and as many as 40 people are now missing and feared lost at sea. And it's a reminder that Florida's immigration tragedies don't happen on the border with Mexico they play out right off our coast. And if politicians really wanted to address that, they would focus on the Florida Straits and not the uh, Rio Grande. But Zach, what we have here is, is a self-inflicted wound to the Florida economy and workforce, which are treated as little more than collateral damage in the uh, red meat political arena. You know, Florida is a service economy that has always depended on immigrant labor to fill jobs that U.S. citizens and U.S. legal residents generally do not aspire to take. 
These are jobs like house speakers at hotels, busboys at restaurants, the workers that spread the tar on our roofs in August when it's blazing hot, and the laborers that cut our lawns. You know, these fields and businesses have traditionally depended on immigrant labor. Then the children of those immigrants, like me, my family came from another country, then went on to college and professions and fulfilling the American dream that our parents and grandparents brought us here to pursue. That's how this works. So shutting down immigration, being hostile to immigration, or saying, as former President Trump did in his 2018 State of the Union speech, that America wanted skilled and professional newcomers in a quote-unquote merit-based system and not the low-skilled labor needed to meet the needs of the economy is a mistake. That's not what I'm saying. It's you know, it's what many people who are in business are saying. Like, for example, I spoke to Rebecca Shi of the American Business Immigrant Coalition last month. You know, let me repeat that name. American Business Immigrant Coalition, not some bleeding heart group, but American businesses. She said her members who are owners and executives of U.S. businesses are being hurt by this hostile crackdown immigration. As a result, it's got impossible to take important actions like reforming legal immigration to meet the needs of employers. At a time when baby boomers are leaving the workforce and not being replaced because of decades-long low birth rate in the United States, we need immigrant labor, especially in Florida, which is skewed toward a service economy. As a result, we have the disaster at the Texas-Mexico border, which doesn't help anyone, and where people who essentially want to come to the U.S. to work are left having to game the political asylum system. What's needed, she said, is a system where people given the green light to enter the country are matched with employers instead of being left on their own or pointed to social services agencies that are already maxed out on resources. Rather than grandstanding, maybe Florida's leaders should listen to businesses who are strongly struggling to find wage workers even as unemployment is headed under 3% and the number of open jobs are outpacing the number of people that can fill them. Yeah, uh, and you mentioned the the tragedy of uh, those migrants uh, dying at sea right off the coast of Florida. It's a good point that uh, you know there are uh, issues um, right here in our our backyard that uh, deserve some uh, attention. And uh, sadly, it seems like a lot of people are lost their lives in that incident. Uh, we'll, we'll move on to some numbers here. John, you want to tell us about yours? Yeah, Zach, uh, 12 is 12 percent, and that's what Governor Ron DeSantis drew in a poll among Republican voters about who they'd support for president in 2024. There were eight hypothetical Republican candidates in the field, so 12 percent sounds pretty good. Except that poll frontrunner Donald Trump drew 57 percent support among those Republican voters that were uh, surveyed by the Harvard Caps Harris poll. And uh, that was reported this week by the Hill newspaper. So, um, you know, DeSantis, uh, he, he gets the silver medal in this Olympian event. But he uh, he does edge uh, former Vice President Mike Pence for second narrowly. So that's good for the Republican governor. Uh, we, were, we were talking last week about this brewing feud going on between Trump and DeSantis, uh, a lot of it over COVID and vaccine policy, but but really about a lot more. And uh, it's a topic which uh, Zaki wrote about recently and which uh, many national analysts have also uh, tried to dissect. Um, it's pretty clear that these kind of numbers affirm that Trump is still the, the Mac daddy of the Republican Party. And uh, in this back and forth between Trump and DeSantis, it just shows that both men are aware of that. Uh, now, now taking Trump out of the presidential field, that presents another story in this poll with with no Trump. 
DeSantis is the Republican favorite for the nomination, drawing 30 percent and uh, well ahead of uh, runner up Mike Pence in that. So uh, DeSantis, uh, he gets the gold uh, compared to these other uh, Republican maybe campaigners. And um, DeSantis also polls evenly if he were to face Vice President uh, Kamala Harris in 2024 in this survey. But but really, in perspective, these kind of polls are the equivalent of what, you know, baseball fans and writers used to call the hot stove league, the kind of uh, speculative offseason what ifs that fans and insiders like to talk about. But it but it really does show the imbalance between Trump and DeSantis. And uh, that reaffirms that Florida's governor is going to likely remain in the president's shadow until, uh, you know, the, the Mar-a-Lago mystery is solved and Trump says he's definitely running in 2024 or not. And uh, we're not likely to get an answer on that for a while. All right. And some interesting numbers to keep in mind as, uh, you know, Trump uh, takes some uh, veiled shots at DeSantis here. It definitely seems like the governor is rising uh, in the ranks in the the uh, for the affection of GOP voters. Antonio, you want to tell us about your number? Yeah, Zach, 5,420,755 is the number of COVID cases reported in Florida since the pandemic began nearly two years ago. But I'm not picking this number to talk about COVID specifically. Instead, I'm going to go back to the topic of the Florida workforce and the economy that I just spoke about a minute ago. Look, I did some rudimentary, admittedly unscientific calculations to make a point. Let's say that 5.4 million cases of those cases, let's say one third of those were children, elderly, and those who, who were positive but had no symptoms. That means roughly three and a half million of those cases were people in the workforce who got sick. They were ill and missed work. And let's say on average, those three and a half million people each missed a week of work. That equals to 143 million hours of work that Floridians have missed in the past two years because of COVID. That's on top of vacation time or the sick time, et cetera. Now, if we were to multiply that across the country using the same formula, the number of hours of work that Americans would have missed in the past two years due to COVID, just due to COVID tops one trillion hours. What is the point here? Product shortages and inflation. Like when you go to public and there's no cream cheese or your favorite brand of potato chips is out, or you go to Chick-fil-A and they're out of that barbecue sauce, or you order a soft drink and there is no straw, you can at least partly blame the loss of American work productivity because of the astounding hours of work being lost due to COVID illness, potentially topping 100 million Florida and 1 trillion across the U.S. for all those shortages. And wait, there's more. Remember, this is a supply and demand e pricing economy. Lost work hours shrinks production and results in fewer products that are available to the consumer. So that means those products, you're going to pay a higher price for them. So when people say, hey, COVID is like any other flu or cold, remember the lost worker hours. Yes, maybe only the elderly and those with comorbidities are at the highest risk of death, but everyone is at risk of illness. And the more hours of work we all lose, the fewer number of products out there to buy and the higher the cost. So you want the economy returned to normal? Take the precautions to prevent getting sick. The government says treatment may save lives, but prevention is what most protects the economy. Yeah, a lot of um, uh, effects of COVID that uh, we're not really focusing on other than the, the health effects here. Well, my number is 2 million. 
That's how many concealed weapon permits there are in Florida. You know, the the um, Florida's concealed weapon law is uh, getting a lot of debate within the GOP right now. It, it actually came up. I was at a meeting of uh, uh, a Tea Party meeting uh, in Bradenton this week, uh, and I was talking to a Republican activist. And in Manatee County, the Republican Party uh, just uh, approved a motion to get rid of Florida's concealed weapons uh, program and uh, replace it with what's called constitutional carry, where people would be able to carry weapons without any kind of concealed weapon permit uh, you know, in Florida, and basically uh, allow uh, people to to be undocumented with their with their weapons uh, in the state, and it's a, a growing movement among conservatives. It's an interesting one. It's it's one that has a lot of support in the GOP uh, base. Ron DeSantis uh, was asked about it and uh, seemed supportive of a constitutional carry law. Such a law has been filed uh, in Florida every year since 2018 by Anthony Sabatini, a GOP uh, firebrand state lawmaker who's been at odds with uh, the House leadership. And they haven't heard his constitutional uh, carry bill, but it seems like increasingly there's a lot of pressure from within the base uh, to 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 move forward with something like this. And I wouldn't be surprised if this is the next uh, big issue that we see in terms of um, gun law changes in Florida. I'm not sure that it'll happen with Sabatini carrying the bill because of um, you know how he has been at odds with uh, some of the leadership um, in the House. Um, but it it seems like there's a growing movement among Republicans to get rid of get rid of um, the concealed weapons licensing system altogether. And, uh, you know, DeSantis seems to certainly recognize it. Uh, I think that they're continuing to to put pressure on elected leaders, as we saw with this vote in the Manatee uh, GOP. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if something like this advances uh, in Florida in the not so distant future. Well, that wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy. And thanks to all of you for listening. Stay safe. We're out of here.